Ukulele Tales, the ukulele podcast with John Atkins. Hello, hello, hello. How is it going? Welcome to another episode of Ukulele Tales. It's great to be here again. As ever, a big, big thank you to our sponsor, Carla Brand Music, for helping to make this show possible. And don't forget, you can go to carlabrand.com slash uketeacher and get 10% off anything on the Carla website just because you listen to this show. Anyway, what did you guys think of last week's episode from the Box Ukulele Festival? I hope you enjoyed it. It's always nice to try something a bit different once in a while. And I've secretly always wanted to be something of a roving reporter. Talking of festivals, and before we forget, it was officially announced this week that I'll be appearing, and of course performing, at the Yeovil Ukulele Festival later this year. Now, it's not until September the 10th, so still a way off yet, but I'm really excited to be getting out to a festival in the UK for a change, and I hope some of you guys might be interested in checking it out and coming out to say hello to me. I'm sure I'll be talking about it a bit more nearer the time, but in the meantime, let me know what festivals you guys are going to this year, and who knows, maybe I'll pop along to some of them too. And I'm also off to LA for the NAM convention next month. Wow, April already? That can't be right. So I hope to get the chance to say hello to some of you over there as well, uh, as well as hopefully picking up some more great interviews for the podcast too. So let me know where you guys are going to be heading to this year, as I'd love to bump into some of you out there in the wild and say hello. Uh, this week on the show, I'm going to be talking to ukulele star Vince Esquire, and we'll also have one of your ukulele tales too, this time about a priceless family heirloom signed by George Formby. Now, don't forget, if you want to help support the podcast, you can always go to patreon.com slash uketeacher. You get early access to the show, the chance to submit questions for some of the future guests that I'll be speaking to, and there's also bonus chats with some of my interviews that ran long. Well, you know me, I do like to talk. So if you can't get enough of Tyler from Ten Thumbs, James Hill, or Christopher Davis Shannon, then check out the Patreon archives today and it'll also help support the show and keep it going a little while longer yet. And of course, I always love hearing from you guys too. So as well as being visible on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc., if there's something a bit more in-depth or personal you want to talk to me about, or you just want to send me something a little bit longer, then my email inbox is always open. Just drop me a message to uketeacher at grabyouryuke.com, and I do eventually reply to everybody. In fact, I know I've had a few emails this week that I haven't yet had a chance to get back to. So if you are one of those people who've sent me something, uh, it's nothing personal, and I promise I will reply to you ASAP. Thank you. Uh, so that Vince Esquire interview. Vince was born in 1985 in Oakland, California, but he moved with his family to Maui, Hawaii at the age of four. Now, his father was a professional saxophonist, who exposed Vince to music at a very early age. So, as a youngster, Vince showed exceptional ability on the drums, and at six years old, six years old, was actually performing in his dad's band. Now, in elementary school, he played the trumpet and the trombone, and at 11, began playing and even, well, as you can probably guess, excelled on the ukulele. And at 13, he began performing at local restaurants and coffee houses, and at 15, he decided to take up the guitar. So a very, very musical childhood. But since then, as well as performing both as a solo act and as part of various Vince-led bands, he's played for and with 
Willie Nelson at Willie Nelson's annual 4th of July barbecue. He recorded with Greg Ullman and performed with the legendary Ullman Brothers Band on numerous occasions, even supporting them on a national tour. In May 2010, Vince and his band were hired by Adam Sandler to perform at the rap party for one of his movies, on the condition that Adam could come up on stage and jam with them. And from what I hear, jam with them he did. So, since forming his band Kanakoa, I think about 25 years ago, Vince has continued to rock out all over the world and jam with some huge names, including John Popper from Blues Traveller and G Love. Milk and cereal, milk and cereal, milk and cereal, cereal and milk. Um, yeah, I love that song. That's G Love, isn't it? So, when I caught up with Vince, he was promoting that latest Kanakoa album, Songs from the Great Disruption, which celebrates 25 years of Kanakoa and is produced by multi-Grammy award-winning producer Steve Berlin of Los Lobos and features collaborations with that very same G-Love, Steve Berlin and Jake Shimabukuru, as well as several other top musicians. So without any further ado, let's take you back to a nice, warm, sunny morning in Anaheim, California last year for my conversation with Vince Esquire. Vince, thank you so much for agreeing to speak to us here today. Oh, thank you, man. Really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yeah. We're here at Nam uh, in Anaheim. Where have you come from? Uh, we flew in from Maui, Hawaii last night. Last yeah. night? Last night. Oh, yeah. wow. Yep. You guys must be pretty exhausted. Not too bad. We're feeling it. We had our coffee, so we're good. You had your coffee, so you're good. Cool. <laughs> and you're playing later on today at the Carla stand? Yeah, apparently, yeah. And what, what are you over here for? You've got a new record out soon, right? conico has got a new record out. Uh, we just put out Songs of the Great Disruption last year, produced by Steve Berlin of Los Lobos. And um, yeah, we're, sure we're preparing to go on our summer tour in about 10 days, 10 yeah. days. So uh, that's what's up next for us. I was listening to this on uh, Apple Music a few days ago. This is, this is out already. This is one. Yeah, this is one. It's got the Going to California yes. cover. Yes. And I was going to say, I was listening to that song and I was just like, there's something so familiar about it. And it was only after I had finished it. I was like, oh, yeah, it's the Led Zeppelin song. Right. You completely made it your own thing. Right. 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 So tell me a bit about how that came to be, the, the duet with Jake Shimabukuro and everything. Well, we've been playing that song as a band for many, many years and kind of put our own spin on it. And then uh, we've known Jake, you know, Jake's been uh, a compadre of ours for the last, uh, at least the last 10, 12 years. So but we've, it's always been hit or, hit or miss with our schedules, trying to get something together to collaborate. And we, you know, one, I'm either busy or he's busy. But we finally, with the with the pandemic and everything shut down, we actually had enough open time. You know, he wasn't touring, we weren't touring to be able to make this possible. So um, it, it was just a timing, you know, yeah. perfect timing kind of thing, you know. And were you doing it um, in person or were you working sort of remotely? Uh... This was, well, that track was remote. So um, it was right in the middle of the lockdown when, you know, there was no traveling or anything like that. So it was record the track, send it to him, have him record his part, send it back. Then I recorded my part and then we just kind of massaged it together. You know? yeah. yeah. One of the things that I guess you guys are famous for is sort of mixing um, like rock music mm -hmm. into your into your thing. How, how did that come about? Um, I mean, we, we all just have a lot of different different influences. Uh, a lot of my bandmates, they like that they're into the dead. The Grateful Dead, they've been into the dead forever. I come from a heavy blues guitar background, Stevie Ray Vaughan and B.B. King and Hendrix and yeah. all those guys. Hendrix, right, yeah. Hendrix for yeah. sure. Um, so I just I've just i always incorporated that into my style of playing ukulele. And it just, you know, it just kind of 
all came together that way. And so it's all of our influences just kind of amalgamated together. Did you start off on the ukulele or did you play the guitar first? I started on ukulele when I was 12. It's just something we all kind of do in Hawaii. Uh, it's part of the school system. You know, kind of like the recorder. Is, yeah, right. Okay. Ukulele is the same in yeah. Hawaii. So Unfortunately, the recorder over in England, but uh, we want to get rid of that. I'm right. working on it. I'm enough working of, on enough it. Enough of the hot cross buns on the recorder. Yeah, today. yeah. Yeah, so it was just, you know, I, I started playing ukulele in school. And then at 15, I started playing electric guitar. I got into I got into Steve Ray Vaughan real heavily. And then so I did that for many years and toured with a bunch of people playing guitar. And then um, and then it just kind of transferred slowly back over to the ukulele, you know, as, as it's become a trendy kind of thing now. Uh, it was just it's just seemed like the natural thing to do. Yeah, it did become a trendy kind of thing. What what are your thoughts on that? Because where I come from, at least in England, um, there's sort of two people. When you say the ukulele, people think of either two things or they used to either George Formby, the sort of um, music hall 1920s vaudeville style right. banjolele entertainer with singing like cheeky songs. Mm-hmm. Or you think of the sort of Hawaii strumming on the beach. Right. Um, and very like very little or nothing in between. Right. But then about, what, five, ten years ago, it suddenly became huge and it was everywhere. Right. And is that what, what happened to you? You were sort of in the middle of that? or? Yeah. I mean, once Eddie Vedder came out with his album, his ukulele right. album, that, yeah. was, that was the door opener. That kicked the door open for everybody. Um, Jake was in there as well. You know, Jake kind of opened the door for people too and, and kind of brought attention to the seriousness of the instrument and what the potential of the instrument actually is. So, but we've kind of just been in the mix the whole time, you know, on kind of on the sidelines, just doing our own thing, you know, so... But it's great to be, to see the popularity of the instrument progress as the years have gone on. And what have you, so have you been like touring? Uh, main oh, obviously not the last couple of years, but before mm-hmm. that, were you like touring pretty heavily? The band would tour at least once or twice a year, usually in the summer, and then again maybe in the winter. And then the with fall. yeah, with lockdown, did that must have come to an end? I guess completely. total end. And so we had to find you know other things to do just to be able to stay creative, and that's where the album came out. Yeah, you know? yeah. And now you're going to be hitting the hitting the roads again, I guess, right? We, we, yeah, we got a uh, we got a Northern California tour that starts in about 12 days. Uh, we got a couple of shows in Alaska, and then we have a fall tour that's being lined up as we speak. Is that so. going to be around the U.S. or further afield, or that'll be the fall tour? Will probably be uh, West Coast. West Coast, yeah, okay, cool. Of the, of the of the states, yeah. Cool. And then your manager, Scott, uh, you're the manager, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was saying that your goal, one of your goals for maybe the next year or two is to head to the UK or Europe. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I, I feel like we would go over well there. I, I'm pretty sure it's, you know, the, the ukulele is kind of a, it's rising in stature over there. Yeah, I think know? so. I think so. There's a lot of interest, you know, yeah. I think. So I yeah. think it would be, it, it's the next natural progression for us is yeah. to go international. Have you ever been to the UK before? Just to visit. Just to I've visit. been there once. Uh, I'm on vacation, but I've never, I've never gone to play. So I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. Okay, cool. So outside of playing, do you do any teaching? Is that something that you're interested in or is that a part of what you do at all? You know, I teach a little bit uh, occasionally. I don't teach a lot. My, my time is very limited. But um, if I see that somebody has the work ethic to put in what it takes to progress and to get better, then I'll invest time into them. Like a sort of mentor or something? Or? Yeah. yeah. A mentor, you know, a mentor or... If I, if I see that a student has the drive to really want to learn and it's not just kind of a hobby or something they're going to put put to the side, because when I learned to play, it was intensive. I practiced eight, nine hours a day, every day. So for me to be able to teach somebody, I have to see they have the same work ethic. Yeah, wow. You know what I mean? So if I see somebody has that same work ethic, I'll spend time with them. That's amazing what you say about practicing for eight or nine hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any thoughts about, like, social media 
teaching the ukulele, like um, YouTube teachers or Instagram teachers and I stuff? Think, I think there are anywhere you can get information, valid information, it's, it's wonderful. Excellent. YouTube, Instagram, I see a lot of amazing players on Instagram yeah. showing things and anywhere, there's, there's, the information is just so accessible now. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's everywhere and a lot of it's really high quality. Yeah. So I'm, I'm all for that. I'm all for that for sure. It's something I didn't have when I was learning. Yeah. For me, when I was learning to play, it was playing the record, the CD, and then rewinding it and trying to figure it out note for note. And then, it, but now you can just go on YouTube and find your favorite player. We'll show you how to do anything. I've had that exact amazing. thing. I've had that exact thing. There's quite an obscure band that I'm a fan of. And I was like, oh, I wonder how he plays that riff. And I found a video on YouTube. And I was like, oh, wow, this guy plays it exactly like the guy on the record. And then I checked the channel name. It, it was him himself playing it. I was totally. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredible, the yeah. information we have. The same with music as well. When I heard I was going to be able to interview you, I, I would be like, how, how can I get hold of your music? And basically everything you've ever done is available on Apple Music or Spotify or yep. YouTube, I guess. Yep. And now you can access anything at any time. Right. And it's yep. amazing. And that must help for you as a composer, maybe, uh, to sort of hear music that you might not otherwise have come across, perhaps? Oh, there's, yeah. And, it, you know... Just on my homepage of YouTube, it's always there's always random things from things I'm just searching and stuff will pop up and but just to be able to find the information from the players you love straight from the horse's mouth, it's totally it's way different than than how things were when I was learning how to play, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well thank you so much for being with us, Vince. Let oh, me just man, ask you a question. It. If um people love you or they've just heard of you for the first time, uh how can they find out more about you? How can they follow Vince and uh and your band? Several places. Uh, my website is vinceesquire.com. We have Kanekoa.live for the Kanekoa. Um, my Instagram is at vinceesquire1985. I post on there pretty frequently. Uh, social media, Facebook, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, yeah, just Google my name and you'll, you'll, you'll find me. Vince Esquire <laughs> of Kanekoa. Kanekoa, am I saying Kanekoa, that? Kanekoa, yeah. Kanekoa, okay, yeah. cool. Vince, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Good thank luck you, with the tour and the new album. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. Cheers. Thank Cheers. you so much. Oh, do you want to play a few notes for us as well? Yeah, sure. Let's play something. Uh... Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. Right on, brother. Bonus few notes at the end there too. Excellent. So as you heard, Vince was a super cool guy, really chilled and easygoing, and a lot of fun to speak to. But unfortunately, such is the nature of Nam that as it happened, when we actually did meet in person, I didn't have my notes on me. And so there was a lot that I didn't get to ask him about, which is totally my fault. Um, I even forgot to get a selfie with him for the podcast thumbnail. Very poor, very poor. And I do apologize. But also doubly annoying is that almost the second after we finished recording, Vince then told me that he was really into MMA. And we had a fascinating conversation about his Brazilian jiu-jitsu prowess, which I wish I could have shared with you. I wonder if he's ever spoke to Andrew Molina about that, actually. Uh, that's something those guys have got in common. Anyway, that's a lesson learned for me. But I'm very grateful to Vince for taking the time to talk to me and also to his manager, Scott, for facilitating everything. Two very cool guys. And you have to check out their album, Songs from the Great Disruption, as it is absolutely epic. And what about Eddie Vedder? 
Wouldn't that be an awesome guest to get on the podcast? You know, I wonder if I, or indeed you, know anyone out there, anyone at all, who could maybe help make that happen. If you do, let me know. So now it's time for one of your ukulele tales, where you tell us about one of your most prized possessions. Don't forget, if you want to share a story about one of your special ukes, you can drop me an email at any time. I am collecting a whole bunch right now, and I will be reading them out on the podcast in the weeks and months to come. Today's ukulele tale comes from regular listener Neil Witherow, who lives in London, England, and he tells the story of how he came to be in possession of a signed, limited edition George Formby banjolele. Neil writes that his dad was born in 1919, and growing up, he was a huge George Formby fan. Now, in the late 1940s, Formby started to market a brand of limited edition signature model banjoleles called the Dallas, which came in at various price points. Now, Formby promoted these models with a little bit of cheeky product placement, basically by playing them in his movies. So Neil's dad, having not long married his mum and started a family, saved up very hard and bought one of these Dallas Ds, complete with a signed George Formby vellum. Now, in case you don't know, the vellum is the skin that stretched across the head of the ukulele. Now, Neil's dad played this all his life in the famous George Formby style, but despite dad trying his best to get him into it, the young Neil wasn't having any of it and refused to play. Now, fast forward to 2011. Neil's dad has sadly been gone for nine years, but Neil gets the strange and sudden urge to start playing the ukulele after seeing a Learn to Uke advert on YouTube. Now, Neil booked four lessons with the famous Lorraine Bow, and the night before the first one, went to the cupboard to retrieve that Dallas banjolele, basically thinking that that was a ukulele to use for the lesson. Only to find out that no matter what he did, it just wouldn't stay in tune. Now, basically, because of the age of the instrument, the friction pegs all needed replacing. But Neil needed a uke for the next day. Now, he was working during the day, so he didn't have time to go out and buy one. But after a few frantic phone calls to friends and family... A nephew had one to lend, an unused Christmas present, which was ideal for a complete beginner like Neil, and the day was saved. Can you imagine if Neil had turned up with one of those really loud, vintage George Formby banjoleles to that first lesson? I don't think Lorraine would have known what had hit her. Anyway, Neil says that as he began to progress on the uke, he tried to see if he could get the banjolele fixed. Now, he spoke to several luthiers who were all of the same opinion, to replace those friction pegs would possibly compromise the headstock where the limited edition number is stamped. And if the headstock were damaged or the number removed, this would undoubtedly affect its value. Now, Neil discovered that the Dallas D that he had was actually quite the collectible item, and even ones that are no longer playable or no longer have the signed vellum can still go for around £750, usually to American collectors. So now, Neil finds himself in a bit of a quandary. Having inherited the instrument from his late mother and father, the decision to risk a renovation is now solely his own. But, he says, he's stuck in a mental quagmire. Neil isn't worried too much about the financial value of the banjolele, as he says he would never even consider selling it. 
But there is a bit of a part of him that would like to restore it to a playable state, back to its glory days, but only if he could guarantee it wouldn't lose its identity in the process. What should he do? Get the banjo lady fixed? Or leave it how it is with all of the limited edition markings and pieces in place? What do you think? My thoughts are to probably leave it be and just have it on display somewhere in his house. But I can see the temptation to be the one guy at your ukulele night with an original George Formby banjolele in tow, especially one that must be now nearly 100 years old. So let me know your thoughts and perhaps we can tell Neil what we think he should do. Now I'll post some pics that Neil has very kindly sent me up on Facebook and Instagram after the show so you can check the thing out for yourself. Believe me, it's a real beauty. Now, if you guys have any stories about a ukulele of yours that you want to share, I'd love to hear them. So please drop me a message or an email. Now, they don't have to be about a priceless family heirloom like Neil's was, of course. But if you have a ukulele that is special to you for whatever reason, then I'd absolutely love to hear about it and share your story with the listeners. Oh, one final addendum to Neil's story. He hid the signed vellum in a safe place in his house a few years ago, just for security. But apparently he did such a good job, it's now so safe that he has no idea where he put it. No doubt it'll turn up again at some point. But in the meantime, that George Formby Dallas Banjolele is still a terrific item to have knocking around the house. So thanks again for the story, Neil. I really appreciate it. And that pretty much wraps things up for another week here too. So a big thank you to you all for joining me once again. And a big thank you to Carla Brand Music for sponsoring the podcast. I'll be back again next week with some more lovely ukulele tales for you to enjoy. In the meantime, please be sure to spread the word amongst your ukulele-loving friends, families, and communities. Until next time, I love you all, and I wish you... The best.